if you're spotting those trends and spotting those you know major shifts in in sectors and talking about them that that is really helping the market as a whole and then also people who interact with that content are thinking wow those guys are picking out something that i hadn't really thought of yet but i need to be thinking about b2b has the potential to be electrifying but the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. I'm Benedict and today I am joined by James Watson, CMO of The Glimpse Group. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Benedict. Very good of you to invite me. Uh, well, no, the pleasure is all mine. Absolutely. Uh, now, I've just g- given you a very, very brief introduction as CMO of The Glimpse Group, which is wholly inadequate, I would imagine, for our audience. So um, if you wouldn't mind, floor is yours for, say, 20, 30 seconds. Just give us a little bit of an intro into who you are and also, I think, importantly, who The Glimpse Group are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, The Glimpse Group is a NASDAQ-listed uh, company based out in the U.S., And we are uh, an immersive technology company that has uh, a number of subsidiaries that have different solutions in the immersive technology sector. So things like virtual reality, augmented reality, we're also quite heavily involved in uh, artificial intelligence. So all those kind of immersive technologies come together within the Glimpse Group. Um, And that makes us quite a unique company in the space. We're, uh, I think, uh, the largest sort of independent software and services company in that immersive technology space. So terrifically exciting, lots of artificial intelligence buzz in the news at the moment. So it's a great place to be. And really brief background on myself. So I got into marketing about 20 years ago now, which makes me sound really old. Um, I I was uh, working for Ogilvy, big big ad agency, working on accounts like Cisco and Philips, um, all very, very interesting and then sort of transitioned slowly over that period of time through uh, another agency called Imagination and then moved into the immersive technology sector, uh, working with a company called Immerse as their CMO. So kind of shifted from agency side to client side, which isn't always the easiest thing, but um, great, loving what I do and and really looking forward to sort of chatting about some of the marketing themes we've got uh, lined up today. Excellent. So you went from the dark side to the light side or vice versa, depending on which way you want to look at it. Yeah, Uh, it? Yeah, (laughs) I've actually forgotten which one it is, which is why I hedged my bets. I think it could be either, right? It depends, (laughs) you know, your view. And now on the other side... Yeah, it's a tricky question. That maybe it's all just grey. Probably that is that probably is the truth. Just out of interest, were you um, sort of on client services, so account handling, or were you on the sort of strategy creative side of things at Ogilvy? Yeah, uh, account services. So you know, started off as uh, actually I started off in project management, um, sort of way back in the day, and then kind of ended up as a hybrid sort of project, so account manager, and then account manager, account director, biz director, client services director bounced on through so yeah very much on the client side fascinating i actually funnily enough did it uh, in reverse albeit at the very very beginning of my career so i was on a, a a grad scheme and i was a brand manager as part of the the grad scheme and wanted to go from corporate client side over to agency and that's how i then engineered the leap so conversation today and i'm actually really excited about this one because um i feel that we're going to put some wrongs to right and we're talking about thought leadership uh talking about some of its deficiencies but i'm also very very hopeful that we're going to be talking about some of its um potential and untapped potential at that um 
so to kick things off, um, I will give a provocative truth and I'm interested to get your perspective on it. And that's that thought leadership as it exists at the moment, certainly in terms of how a lot of B2B brands are doing it, you know, I think it sometimes is informative, but it nearly always fails to educate and definitely has a never has a lasting impact and effect on the industry. Um, do you agree with that assessment of thought leadership at the moment? Totally. Uh, I think you know, to me, it's really simple. And I, I, I don't know, maybe I've just sort of spent some time working it out or I've failed and, and got it wrong and, and then, you know, equally on occasion got it right, but still not all the time. You know, it, it has to it has to provide insight. It has to um, whoever interacts with that thought leadership and we can talk about what thought leadership mm. is in, in a bit, I think, but they have to come away knowing more than they knew before or having a piece of insight that they can then apply, you know, to what they're doing. And, mm. and that to me is, is really the, the, the core of it. And, you know, a lot of it fails because you're not really working out what value you're adding into the conversation or into the marketing mix. You know, the, the organization putting out thought leadership, you know, they can stick it in a thought leadership bucket and, and you know, it doesn't necessarily isn't really fit for purpose because they're trying to serve their own ends too much. You know, they're, mm. they're thinking we need to get this message out. So let's wrap it up in thought leadership. And then, we, you know, people are going to engage with it because it's thought leadership. But, you know, it often isn't. And, and, and that's a that's a big challenge because then you get a very noisy environment and people start switching off. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I think that probably two things to sort of pick out. Like one thing I do think that a lot of um B2B brands almost become quite sort of myopic when it comes to thought leadership and mm. therefore all the focus is on how it can be used as part of an activation strategy and let's put it behind um, a you know a gate uh, let's get people's data and then we can have leads that's that's what we're trying to sort of drive and I actually feel that that really sort of misses the point of what thought leadership can be because I see it as really a, a really really effective brand building device um within the context of b2b so in addition to it being you know as you say it's got to be insightful it's got to give you people some value i also think it needs to have that bit of inspiration it needs to be memorable as well and if you do achieve that then i think it's really really powerful as i said around brand building but to sort of help frame the conversation um what do you think that people currently sort of mean by thought leadership and what do you think people should mean by thought leadership yeah i think you know it, it's quite a, a tricky term because various people see it in different ways i think um what the per, sort of simplistic perception of thought leadership probably is is you know pulling together what is called i keep doing this but a white paper just because it's a term that gets misused a lot for the know, benefit academic. of people tuning in just for audio purposes we are getting <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah. quote marks um I done keep doing by... quote mark and appreciate <laughs> that this is primarily aimed as a podcast although we are recording it as video but you know so yeah you know the 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 term white paper, which is much misused, I mean, academics would, would be very upset with the way we tend to use it in marketing, um, you know, is, is wrapping something into a white paper that has fundamentally more of a sales message than a kind of insight-led, yeah. you know, thought leadership, um, uh, knowledge-based angle, and then putting that out and thinking that's thought leadership. And like you say, stick it behind a, stick it behind a, a form that people have got to submit details to. And, yeah, with thought leaders, which which, of course... It is not the case. To me, thought leadership is more 
you know, it's a number of different things and it would be anything from speaking at a conference, um, you know, once again, provided that's insightful, you know, an insightful talk and not just you running through your creds deck and um, trying to sell something, which you see a lot of those, which I find absolutely tragic. Um, you know, it's actually, it can be any number of things. So, you know, it's not, it's kind of a program. And within that program, it might be an event. It might be a, a white paper. Um, it might be putting out an interesting blog post. It might be a podcast, you know, uh, as, as we're doing here today. So it's so many different things. And I think, um, back to your point, it is about building that brand. You know, it's not about let's do some thought leadership and stick it behind that form and get leads and go hit mm. those leads. You know, the, the, the challenge is quite often is, you know, having ungated content, which which we did recently uh, very deliberately and giving people just the ability to interact with it without asking for anything in exchange directly. You know, there's a longer term play there, but there's not necessarily a. Okay, how did that white paper perform? Well, we got, you know, 200 downloads and out of that we got three conversations and one of those is a, you know, a decent opportunity. So, you know, it's a much misunderstood uh, area and I think it needs to be a little less focused on driving direct return uh, on, on the investment and more on a longer term brand building piece, which is a challenge quite often because if you don't see those short term results and you put a lot of effort into it, you know, it can lead to some interesting discussions. It is. And it's, it's a difficult equation to get the, the balance mm. right. I mean, I think just just very quickly, I think your, your point around changing people's perceptions around it having to be like a white paper, for instance, is so important. Thought leadership is not a format in itself. Thought leadership no. is almost the, the impact and the effect that you have. And you can use a variety of different formats. You can use a variety of different channels to sort of achieve, achieve that. But sort of picking up on your point there around um, the the tendency of a lot of marketers to to go down that route of making it much more of a short-term sort of activity and having to have a tangible return within a, a short time frame. Do, do you think that the reason for that is because there's a misunderstanding of what thought leadership is, or do you think it's coming from a, a you know an unrelenting pressure within the business, which marketers are not currently sort of equipped to sort of push back on? It's probably a bit of both. Mm. If I'm honest, um, you know, it's probably the pressure on on marketing to deliver whatever, whether you call it an MQL or whatever mm. we'll call it today. So you've got the pressure on it and perhaps marketing not really grasping the best use of thought leadership and therefore feeling that is a channel in which to address that pressure. So mm. it's probably comes comes from that sort of uh, approach. And I think, you know, maybe it's an easy go to for some marketers you know, it's like, oh, right, okay, I'll go create some thought leadership content, uh, stick it, like I said, behind that form and, and get some mm. leads. You know, so maybe it's a bit of a an easy an easy tactic for some marketers to employ and say, you know, to their, you know, to whoever they're reporting into, hey, yeah, we've got a thought leadership program. You know, mm. but it isn't, to, to your whole point, it's not just a thing, it's a whole kind of approach. And so it's probably just an easy thing to grab hold of when the pressure's on. Uh, and say, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing thought leadership. That'll generate leads. 
And if you were to, I suppose, put the words in a, a marketer's mouth to make the argument to the business for why thought leadership should be part of your long-term brand building strategy, what would the case be that you would make in that particular instance? I think I would probably, I, I like to kind of relate a lot of the marketing activity to sort of, I call it like nudges. Okay, so across a period of time, especially in the B2B space, depending on, you know, whether you're more the sort of the, the SaaS sort of, churn out licenses or in that those sort of bigger contract pieces up at the further end you know i think from that perspective you know nudges each time someone comes across your brand be that in you know paid media be that in in different um format it's really important that you're there and you're present and that um you know they can find you and that they'll come back to you thought leadership is that kind of longer term play that you would mm -hmm. take across, you know, however long that might be. It might be 12, 18, 24 months even. And to have that kind of ongoing engagement and be perceived as a thought leader in the space. So I think it's it's really important to kind of look at it as a longer term play versus a, you know, yeah, we're going to go out and do a campaign and people mm -hmm. are going to engage and think of us as thought leaders. It doesn't work like that. In, in a previous role I had, um, it was quite interesting because, um, I was in that role. I then sort of went into consultancy and it gave me the opportunity to reach out to lots of competitors because I was, you know, seeing if they needed consultancy services. And a lot of those competitors said, oh, yeah, you know, you were at this previous company. We really enjoyed your content. We really saw you guys as kind of leading the sector. And that was amazing feedback to get, which you'd never normally get because when you're in that competitor, the competitor doesn't tell you you've, you've done a good job. And that was very much based off, uh, it was over a period of two years, going from kind of zero awareness to much better awareness, constantly working on the thought leadership piece. And it definitely worked. But that was over, you know, arguably 18 to 24 month period that it improved. Um, and so that definitely validated sort of my thinking of the thought leadership piece. Um, obviously, it wasn't just competitors. It was also uh, potential clients that I reached out to and got feedback from. So it's a longer play piece. So in a way, when a marketer is trying to justify it, they almost need to step away from the, OK, if we need to hit our sales numbers in the next three, six months, it, it's not this, but it's this is going to help us build over the sort of six, eight, mm. 12, 24 month period. I think it almost what we need to do as an industry is if we if we can imagine there are sort of two columns, which is you've got your you've got your short term, real term sort of like targets that you've got to hit, which is sort of short term activation. And then you have your longer term brand building. It's almost moving thought leadership from the short term activation column into that and then looking at, well, what here are the other solutions that we have to, to sort of meet that rather than actually it just everything, almost the gravitational pull towards short term being sort of uh, too great. I think I liked what you said there just in terms of the anecdotal sort of feedback that you've had from people um, that you, you spoke to there. And fundamentally, what you did over that uh, 12, 18, 24 month period or whatever it was was to build that, build those memories to increase the sort of the mental availability around the brand through thought leadership. So if we think about this idea of thought leadership needing to be memorable, which is one of the core sort of ideas of, of, of brand building, what do you think that thought leadership needs to look like in order to achieve that sort of effect? I'm interested in, in defining maybe sort of memorable, right? Because to yep. me, and maybe it's just semantics, but to me, it needs to, it, it actually needs to be useful. So, mm -hmm. so, you know, memorable, if something's useful, you're probably going to remember it, 
right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's memorable because it's helped you, mm-hmm. you know, it's helped you in what you're trying to do. So I think it, it needs to be memorable, but the reason it's memorable, I would say is because it's insightful or useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I think, uh, ultimately that, that needs to, needs to play out. Um, sorry, I, I forgot. I've lost the question thread. What was the other part of the question beyond memorable? <laughs> Uh, well, I think it's actually like what, what, what for, in order for it to be uh, to achieve, make that sort of memory state, which is what we kind of want to get a brand to. What does thought leadership need to be? And I, I think you've, you've rightly identified about the sort of there needs to be that sort of usefulness and insightfulness to it. But are there any other dimensions that you feel are important if you're going to get to that state where you do have that mental availability that you're creating rather than it being more of a transactional, I have a particular problem, right? You've given me an answer. I move on. Yeah. I mean, I think the way I looked at it previously, and I've worked with, you know, super smart people, you know, from Mm. a sort of technical perspective who who just have brilliant insight into the market and, and experience. And I do think it is ultimately, you know, something stands out by the fact that, you know, it actually makes an impact on what you're doing and what you, mm-hmm. you need to go and do. And so if you can package up that insight in such a way that it, you know, is understandable, that it is uh, something people can then potentially share as well, and therefore they get, they get some sort of um, associated mm-hmm. value from that. I think it has to be that. You have to put it in such a way that people, A, understand it, B can then take what you've 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 helped them with, which will either help them solve a problem, help them do their job better, help them find a better solution, and you know, and it's adding value. So to me, it's kind of like it stands out by, you know, that value exchange. People have potentially given you their details to download something, or maybe mm. not ungated, but or their time. You know, they're they're always giving their time. If they're engaging with your content, they're giving you time. What's the value they're getting from that exchange? Yeah. And if you can give them some meaningful insight, uh, packaged up in the right way and positioned in the right way, then you get that, you know, you get that standout because people, to your point, you know, people will remember it um, and, you know, find it of use. So I think that's, that's a key element within it um, to make you really stand out from what is, you know, like I said, a really noisy kind of a noisy environment with more and more people trying to do what they consider thought leadership, hundreds of webinars, tons of white papers, tons of blog posts, mm. all that sort of um, general noise that, that people are being being exposed to. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I I like the the idea of talking about it in terms of a, a value exchange, and it's it's something of probably to many clients' irritation. I always bang on about this idea of quid pro quo when mm. you are doing some sort of content really if if you're going to ask somebody to as you say give up their time give up their details there has to be that corresponding value exchange and also sometimes you need to earn the right for them because they sometimes they are giving details on good faith and therefore you need to earn the right before you can almost gate something uh, they have to know that you are going to be able to give value or you have to give enough value away in advance to make sure that there is that promise um I was going to pick up on something you talked about there in terms of standing out, which I think is really, really important, which ties in to sort of some thinking that I've got um, about what thought leadership needs to be. And in the name thought leadership, it is that idea of leading thought. And from my perspective, to lead thought, you need to be saying something which is 
new. You can't just be repeating what other people are saying. Now, to say something new, that does require you sometimes to challenge the status quo, um, is maybe shift some sort of preconceptions that exist. How important do you think it is for um, brands to really push themselves, as I say, to challenge the status quo, to move the conversation on, shape the discourse within their their industries for thought leadership to be successful? Absolutely important. Um, you know, in, in order to be, like you say, a thought leader, you need to be sort of, you know, looking ahead. Um, mm-hmm. You need to be able to see what's coming and kind of um, relate that to the market in a way that it's, you know, uh, something that they can they can get value from. So I think absolutely, and you need to be, um, you need to be not afraid to be controversial. Mm. You know, you need to be, don't, you know, thought, like I said, to lead means you're, you're, you're often out front. So you're not the one that's just going along with the pack and kind of reiterating what's being, being said by others. You need to actually be the one who's kind of looking ahead and maybe taking a slightly different route to the others. I mean, an example I've got, um, you know, um, from, from a glimpse group perspective is, is kind of looking at, how immersive technology is going to be impacted by things like 5G, 6G, mm. all the sort of the ability to do more with processing power um, across all those different technologies. And we've got some sort of um, specific viewpoints on that, which are, you know, definitely not necessarily things people are thinking about at the moment, but things that people will need to be thinking about in the next sort of, you know, 12, 18 months. So if you're spotting those trends and spotting those, you know, major shifts in in sectors and talking about them, that that is really helping the market as a whole. And then also people who interact with that content are thinking, wow, those guys are picking out something that I hadn't really thought of yet, but I need to be thinking about it. Excellent. Mm. Thanks. They know their stuff. Let me find out more about them. You know, yeah. who are these guys? Oh, wow. They're doing all that stuff. We should talk. I mean, look, if you if you need if you want to stand out, you've either got to be saying something new, or you've got to be saying something different and being slightly contrarian. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's such an important thing for B two B brands to realise, but it's, it's also something that they need to try and sort of reconcile as well, because there is that sort of slight culture of risk aversion within a lot of B2B brands. There's an uncomfortableness about trying to lead a conversation, putting your head above the, the, the parapet, which, which has to change. From your perspective, have you, have you seen that there is that sort of shift and that realisation or have we still got a long way to go? Well, the realisation that you've got to be a, a bit bolder. And exactly, yeah. Um, I think in certain sectors, it's different in certain sectors than other. The more sort of slower moving traditional mm. kind of sectors, you know, they're probably always going to be sticking to the safer kind of route. You know, there are some 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 sectors of, of, of industry that just don't need to be controversial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their target audience probably doesn't like particularly controversial views. You know, it's, whereas in other areas, certainly in the area we're in, you know, having different views, you know, is definitely, I think, a positive when you're in kind of a very sort of new and sort of, you know, technology era defining um, sort of sector like we are, then then that's fine. So I think it's very much dependent on on you know if your customers are looking for that and and, mm-hmm. and are open to that, you're going to shape yourself as a brand as a B two B brand more in that challenger kind of you know slightly more um, you know bolder way. 
if you're in, you know, the sort of some certain sectors, say within, you know, logistics or whatever, or wherever it might be, not to pick on logistics, yeah, but, poor logistics, um, you know, you're not necessarily going to be the ones who are, who are pushing, pushing, um, pushing on that envelope quite so hard, I think. <laughs> well, for anyone that is tuning in from shipping or logistics or, or supply yeah, chain, um, we we still do believe in you, um, and we absolutely, do. there is still that scope to to, to push the push yeah, the well, envelope. Containers and all that stuff. There's, there's definitely some interesting thought leadership to be taken there. I, I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, not that I'm going to sort of bore you with you know historical products I worked on, but some of the most fascinating ones are actually dealing with big shipping and transportation companies just because it's so tangible what they're dealing with you know it's pretty yeah. exciting when you've got innovation at the scale of something which is a i don't know however many ton ship that we might be talking about i think, I think what's um, interesting on, on that point sorry yeah. just to jump on that is is what what is often and i found this very much from you know my agency days as well there is always uh, there are always amazing insights and amazing things going on in big organizations be they in logistics, be they telecommunications, be that, mm. you know, the Cisco's of this world, the Philips, there's always amazing um, uh, content in there. It's getting it out and having the time to extract it. So, you know, all this thought leadership piece, there is no matter what, what, what company you're in, there will be some interesting stories to bring out that can turn into amazing thought leadership. The challenge is a finding them and then b putting them into a way that you can then push them out of thought leadership. And so it takes, Time to find them, time to shape them, and then time to put them out. But if you can do those three things, you know, any company can, can have a, a really interesting angle um, to take from a thought leadership perspective. They, they certainly can. And the, the, the risk of reading from our sort of brand manifesto, you know, we have this idea of B2B is full of electrifying stories that no one is telling. Um, and I think that there is absolutely truth in that. Um, so just my, my, my penultimate question, um, and I think I just wanted to sort of tie into you talking around sort of the technology that you, the world, the world of technology that you are in, involved in, you are clearly at the forefront when it comes to something like AI. So we've got a lot of emerging technologies. Um, now, clearly that provides stories in themselves. But I'm also just wondering, you know, if we think about some of the technological advancements that have been made, certainly around sort of VR, AR, for instance, what potential do you think that gives for thought leadership from a sort of a, a channel perspective and format, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, so I'm slightly torn on that one because, you know, there's there's the sort of angle from a thought leadership perspective of, you know, being seen to be using these new technologies mm. and therefore, oh, you're a thought leader. That sometimes leads towards, you know, not using it in the right way because you're just using it to get, hey, look at us. We're using yeah. this amazing technology um you know it's kind of this is the shiny new toy so let's go out and say we're using it so so i think there's a slight danger there to to use these sort of emerging technologies as a thought leadership piece unless you do it in the right way so you know for example we've, we've been integrating artificial intelligence into our virtual reality platform which basically mm -hmm. means you can now have a conversation with an avatar powered by chat gpt uh, conversational AI, and they will answer back to you. So you can have a conversation with this, mm -hmm. in effect, mm -hmm. you know, purely um, AI-driven uh, avatar. And that, to me, is a, is is um, the right use of the technology. Te technology, not just doing something slightly frivolous and sticking out a press release. You know, it's using it in the right way. So there is definitely 
scope to use it from a thought leadership perspective, but not when it's just, hey, let's go do something because it's the latest shiny, shiny new toy uh, in the toy box. Indeed. And I think the, the, the world of marketing on both B2B and B2C is littered with examples of people yes. potentially being a little bit magpie uh, around shiny new objects, as you said there. Yeah. Um, I mean, this has been a fantastic conversation, but I can't let you leave without asking our house question, I suppose, probably the best way of looking at it. Um, now, we, we've been talking about you know, different ways of building brand within B2B. We've been talking about how we can sort of increase that sort of mental availability. Um, but what I'm interested in is when was the last time that you saw a piece of marketing? So that could be some creative, it could be a piece of comms, you know, it almost the limit is endless that really made you feel it in your guts that moved you on a deep emotional level. I think I'm not sure how, how, how deep the level was, but it's something I saw recently that made me kind of stop and think that's really clever. So, mm-hmm. you know, it probably wasn't that emotive because it's uh, health insurance, which I mean, can be emotive because obviously it's an important thing mm. uh, to have, especially with the pressures currently on the, on the, the healthcare system. So it was, a, it was actually um, a campaign I saw from Vitality um, and their health insurance. And it was really simplistic in that it said, you know, don't wait until you get ill to get a benefit from your health insurance, mm, which mm. I just thought was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Health insurance is associated with bad things, right? Oh, you're ill. Yeah. You've got to go get your health insurance really bad. This vitality angle was like, hey, listen, don't wait till you're ill. We'll give you benefits ahead of that. And I think that was just kind of really reshaping how I thought about health insurance um, and putting it in a far more positive way. And I thought mm. it was really clever. You know, they've, they've obviously had programs giving you Apple watches and what have you for, for ages. So they've done that. But just to reframe it and say, this doesn't have to be a negative thing. This can be a positive thing. I think it was very clever marketing, not wildly emotive, but I think actually very effective. Yeah, I, it's, it's clever. And I, I like the way that it's, it, it's flipped. But I, I would also say that it does have a degree of an emotional element because it, I think it taps into a bit of a human truth. Or maybe it's just a human truth for me. I, I have private health insurance and I don't use it at all. I have free um, dental checkups every six months. Have I used them? No. And yeah. do I feel guilty <laughs> that I'm letting myself down by not doing them? Yes, I absolutely do. So if I was to see that sort of message, it would actually sort of trigger that little bit inside me being like, God, what a waste. You really need to utilize this. You're only sort of um, doing yourself a disservice by not. So I think there is almost that sort of yeah. human truth, yeah. emotional level to it as well, which is which is great yeah. to see. Um well, I think as I build this at the beginning, I was very, very looking, much looking forward to this. I think that we have wronged a few rights. Well, I'd like to think so anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the, the two big things that have sort of stuck out to me, it's firstly, we've got to reframe the way that we think about um, thought leadership, move it from the short-term activation column into long-term brand building. Uh, That's not necessarily something which is easy. We have to make the argument to different stakeholders and probably make the argument to ourselves as well. And then the the second bit, which probably isn't going to surprise anyone that I sort of picked up on, is um, it's so important for brands to get comfortable not being afraid of being that little bit controversial. Unless you are going to be slightly controversial, unless you are going to be contrary, you are probably just going to contribute to the noise that's out there. But take that slightly provocative line. It allows you to say something different. It allows you to um, lead the conversation rather than just follow it. 
And that's when you get the best um, impact from a thought leadership perspective. So, James, um, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. B2B Marketing, the provocative truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, the provocative truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.